right, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson. Woo! Our studio audience of, of three. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, if you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things ideas, creativity, innovation, smart people doing smart things. And today I've, I've kind of outdone myself. Um, Dr. Spiros. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you, you like to go by your full Dr. Spiros Michalakis? Uh, Michalakis. Ah! It's a tough one. It, and I've, you know, I've, I've seen you correct people on so many YouTube videos, and I was like, ah. I practiced it. <laughs> but, and, I, and I failed the, I failed the test. It's okay. Practice uh, manager of Outreach at the Institute for Quantum Information and Matter at Caltech. That's right. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? It means that I split my time between doing research into the foundations of the universe and then taking that research and putting it out there like podcasts like this, going to schools, working with Marvel and their superhero movies, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, by the way, I fanned out a little bit. First of all, when I just saw your name and I was like, ooh. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, yesterday I watched the uh, quantum chess video oh, you put together. Yes. Um, I would love for you to tell that story because I think this puts your entire universe <laughs> into perspective. Um, see what I did there? I didn't even. That's a, I, that's a good How one. was that? Was that good? That's a, I was excellent. Can I, can I go to Caltech now? <laughs> 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 no, but if you, if you don't mind explaining that project and how sure. it came to be. And um, I, I think it's a great example of, of where we can go. With this yeah. Um, yeah. This is a, kind of a crazy story. Um, how does a quantum physicist end up producing and co-writing, you know, a video that goes viral. Um, I, I actually just uh, gave a presentation, a talk at the New York Film Academy in Burbank. And um, and it was very interesting because I opened up with uh, this article that appeared on Fast Company almost exactly three years ago, uh, right before the Super Bowl. And they were listing their favorite ads, the Super Bowl ads for the week leading up to the Super Bowl. Uh, one of them had to do with a Deadpool, you know, um, commercial and so on and so forth. Right. But the top one was uh, the quantum chess video I put together. And it was not an ad. They just didn't know because they thought, who, who did this? Right. Who did this? <laughs> like, it was Apple behind it. Who, who did this? Um, and the truth is that the, um, you know, Caltech, where I work, was trying to put together this uh, big event to bring the public in and uh, talk to them about quantum computing or the future of computers. And, and I thought it'd be really cool if I could showcase um, a game that um, uh, a student at USC and I had been working with uh, on, and this was uh, quantum chess. It was taking chess and adding quantum rules to it. So let's say uh, some of the pieces could be at two places at the same time, and then you can entangle them, meaning like, you know, the movement of one dependent on movement of others. It was, let's just say it was very nerdy. Right? And I wanted to find a way to break it down and present it to the public because it was supposed to premiere that little video at the event, which was on campus at Caltech. And so I, um, I thought about how to do this. And it was uh, by chance I already had met Paul Rudd uh, because I had helped with uh, you know, some of the science behind Ant-Man's quantum realm. Mm -hmm. And this was just uh, right after the first movie came out, Ant-Man. So I, um, I reached out to him. He had given me his email, actually, uh, after a few hours of, of talking. Which is? Yeah. Peace. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> right at Gmail. Anyways. And um, 
And so I reached out to him and I said, hey, how would you like to, uh, you know, to play quantum chess against Dr. Stephen Hawking? So the, for us scientists, reaching out and getting Stephen Hawking to say yes to something is much easier than getting someone from Hollywood. Uh, so the big deal was that, uh, of course, Paul said, I would love to, you know, it's a great honor and all that stuff. So um, we reached out to Stephen and then, uh, you know, I put together a team. Um, but the interesting thing about this story is that I want to remind everyone that I don't know how to write screenplays or anything like that, right? You know, any script. And Paul's um, publicist said that he would be happy to do it. But, you know, as, as soon as I sent him the script for this, <laughs> you know, oh. Oh. and and I thought that scripts meant like you just do like, you know, a one pager or something like this, where you have like an idea you throw out there. It's like they'll fill in the lines, right? They know what to do. That's not how it works, apparently. Um, <laughs> so I was kind of depressed. I'm like, wow, there is three weeks before the event, three weeks, okay, to do this. And uh, my girlfriend said, you should just go and hang out with like your good friend, Jose, somebody I had met like through volleyball in Pasadena and maybe just watch a movie. Not quantum he, volleyball. Just, not quantum volleyball, okay. just regular volleyball. Um, so I went over at his place and, you know, we watch movies from time to time. And at the end, he's like, usually, you know, you're you're very energetic and happy person. Why are you seem down, right? He picked up on it. And I said, well, you know, I'm kind of stuck. There's this thing happening and it's on my shoulders right now. He's like, oh, I got this. You know, just send me what you have. And I'll help you out. Little did I know that Jose, who is actually a scientist, was also training to become a writer, right? So he had final draft. He knew how to create a script. Right. And the next day he throws back to me the thing that became this viral video, right? All of the funny stuff, all this good stuff, right? Came from him and from Paul Rudd, really. And the fact that Stephen Hawking, you know, was always so funny because you know, he doesn't have to do anything. People right. said in the comments, like, it's amazing how funny he is, even though he cannot make any facial expressions, which is funny and yeah. you know, kind of bad at the same time. That. <laughs> but anyways, um, so yeah, this is how this came to be. And I was looking for a director. And what was interesting about this is that not only did I have a writer before, you know, Jose did his part, I didn't have a director, a producer, nothing. You know, I just had the talent. Yeah. And, you know, I, I needed to, to find someone to, to put this together. So a good friend of mine, Ed Solomon, who is one of the top screenwriters actually in, in the universe, uh, behind Men in Black, Now You See Me, mm -hmm. right? You know, mm -hmm. uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure with Ken Reeves, right? Um, he said, oh, I have a friend who, who can help you. He, he directs now and he gives me the name Alex Winter. Alex Winter is Bill from Bill and Ted. Okay. So I said, are you serious? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, I talked to him about you, you know, he'll do it. So not only would he do it, but Keanu Reeves would be narrating the epic battle between Paul Rudd and Stephen Hawking. <laughs> so out of nowhere, I had all the pieces together. And the whole thing, like, you know, cost me $30,000. That was it. To put something that was 12 minutes long with so much talent in it, just because we needed to pay, like, you know, the DPs and so on and so forth, yeah. right? The crew. And that was it. It was for outreach. So, and, it was, yeah. and it was good. Like, you know, it's it's one thing to, like, have, have it thrown together in yeah. a short span of time. And I, we were joking earlier, like, my attention span is pretty bad. But <laughs> I've watched all 13 minutes of it, wow, right? And, thank you. Oh, yeah, no no worries. Um, and uh, and so it just kind of leads me to this thought, right? Mm -hmm. You stepped into something very 
I, I believe in this in the power of naivete, yeah. right? Like stepping into a realm. Uh, <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> that um, <laughs> that you don't like you're unfamiliar with, yeah. and just figuring it out, which. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like it is anti-science, right? Like science is very like step by step and practical and you're making yeah, theor- yeah, theoretical yeah. assumptions and proving them. And here you're going to like throw some stuff on the wall and yeah. maybe it might work. So here's the first uh, teaching moment, right? You are indeed wrong about science with respect to that. And that's our fault. This is scientists' fault because we haven't explained it's my that fault. I'm science. Just not that smart. No, it is. Uh, it's <laughs> not. Trust me on this one. We've just made it seem like it is esoteric, and we just go through this formal process very slowly and so on. And so on. this is part of the process, but that's because science needs to be reliable, because of the rest of the world has to rely on it, right? Not just what we come up with and we pat ourselves on the back. We need to have everyone else also say yes, this works, right? But the rest of science, the most important part of science, right, the other 90% of it, is exactly as creative and probably even more creative in many ways than how you make a movie or how you write a script or anything like that. Because when you're doing good science, you have no idea what step zero is, right? That's the point where you, this is where innovation comes, where insight comes in, right? You don't know how to go from step zero to step one. Because if you did, then you would have some, your friend would have invented that flying car or the car that runs on hydrogen fuel, right? And so on and so forth. That's the hardest part. You'd, all of us have good ideas, okay? How do you turn that good idea, right, into the first like 5% towards its completion? Right. Very few people have the ability to do that. Very few people. And it's not because some of us are smarter than others. That's not it. That very few people allow themselves to imagine practical magic. Very few people think that they can be like mental superheroes, right? Because they're like, if nobody else has figured it out, why would I be the one to do it? Yeah. And that's, it takes many years of failure until you become like a mental superhero because you learn to be okay with not knowing what's going to happen, right? You learn to be okay throwing stuff on the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. It's it's funny. So, you know, in the the business ecosystem that I sit in, you know, yeah. innovation, marketing, startups, et cetera, et cetera, we talk a lot about the brainstorm process. And yeah. I was talking about this earlier where the brainstorm room should be the safest place on the planet, like yeah. even safer than HR, right? Because it's yeah, yeah. like I want to be able to say that dumb thing or be accidentally yes. racist or like whatever, you know, because I'm just throwing out ideas. Yeah. But yeah. I find that most people feel the pressure to come into the room with a, like a, I want to throw some magic up on the wall yeah. and make everybody go, wow, otherwise yeah. I'm going to look foolish. Yeah. And, you know, uh, does that pop up in your world? You know, very you much, it, but yeah, very much. So. Um, and in fact, this is another issue that science has, right? Everyone tries to be uh, the smartest person in the room instead of trying to be the dumbest person in the room, right? Because if you're the dumbest person in the room, even if you know stuff, you can only grow by listening to others and synthesizing their ideas and trying to find value in others, not destroy their ideas, prop them up, unlock their potential, and also the potential of your own ideas. So I, you know, I try to be the dumbest person in every room, um, and it usually works. You know, it's not so hard to be the dumbest <laughs> person in a room, but it pays off. Yeah, I think it really pays off uh, because that vulnerability, right, allows you to have your best thoughts yeah. and allows other people to trust you. When I go into a room, 
with a bunch of writers, right, that don't know anything as far as like quantum physics goes. Okay, maybe they read something on an article or like, you know, Wikipedia, and they think like, maybe, you know, now I know everything, but they know enough to be uncomfortable when, you know, an actual quantum physicist shows up, right? Because like, I'm going to sound dumb and so on and so forth. The first thing to remember, right, is that I was just like them not so long ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. And moreover, if I think that I know how to write something, okay, the way they do, they perfected their craft, then I don't, you know, I'm also like in the same boat as they are from, but from the other point of view. So the very first thing I try to do is to establish that there is, you know, usually professors sometimes say without actually meaning (laughs) that there is no dumb question. Okay. Right. It takes an amazing expert to be able to validate this. Somebody who really is amazing at what they do can understand that there's so many things and points of view of the things that they already know that they don't actually know. Right. So there is no dumb question means that maybe they're asking you something that is obvious to you, but from a way, from a different point of view, that unlocks an aspect, a facet, like, you know, of, of whatever concept you thought you had pinned down in a new way, in a new light. Uh, you know, it, it's almost like reimagining what confidence is. Yeah. You know, confidence usually is equated with some high-performing skill. Right. The bravado, or the talent, right. the uh, exceptional. The confidence is, yeah. is what you're saying is like, you know what? I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think in most, like if you have a job, like I don't know is, is not a good answer. We're, we're, yeah. we're taught that in, yeah. in yeah. some way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that it, this is very powerful. Like we're going to go deep right now. Yeah, Sorry. Like we're going to jump in. Um so many uh, great minds have tried to figure out, you know, what the theory of everything is, including Stephen Hawking, Albert Einstein, right? You know, and so on and so forth. Very, very, you know, smart people, according to the world, yeah. right? But because very often we are worried about, you know, looking stupid, we don't question the very foundations upon which we try to build these theories. Hmm. We do not question them. And... It's almost like <clears throat> when, you, when you're a kid and you haven't been beaten down yet to, to be thinking that in order for me to be successful, I have to be straight A, straight, like, oh, everything has to be perfect. You know, I have to have the best ideas. I have to always be on and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. If I'm off at any point, then people are going to catch on and say, ah, there, they slipped, right? Yeah. You know, like, oh, they're not that smart and so on and so forth. But to me, if you're trying to understand something, Something difficult, right? Something from a a new point of view that nobody else has seen from that point of view. It means that at that moment, you may look like the dumbest person on earth in the universe, right? Why? Because everyone else would be like, what are they even trying to do? This is obvious, (laughs) right? right? Right. This has been obvious for thousands of years. Why are they trying to... What does he mean like space is not fundamental or time is not fundamental? What does, what does he mean when he says, right. like, you know, the laws of physics, you know, we're not just discovering them. They don't exist, okay? They emerge from somewhere else where at that level, they don't exist. So you can break everything. Everything goes. How is that possible? Right? You're like, obviously, you, yeah. you, you know, try to step off a, a tall building. You can't fly, okay? There is a law of physics, gravity, right. that says, like, you're not going to be able to fly unless you do something else, right? Yet. Yet. <laughs> but that's what it comes down to. Yeah. 
all these things, like, you know, science at its best is a journey of breaking its own foundations controllably, right? It's a controlled distraction process right? where you don't just like blow everything up and say, you know, and a lot of new age, you know, spiritual things like that usually do that where they may be even right about what they're claiming, mm. but they have no idea why. That's the difference, right? To me, the journey is much more important than the destination of like, you can, you know, meditate and then make parking spots appear in front of you, visualize the future and your success and all that stuff. What I'm trying to say is that there are aspects of the universe where the journey to the answer is much more interesting and more important than the answer you get to. Yeah. Right? Even if I were to give you this magical formula and I write it in a book and I sell it to everyone where it says, now you have the power of the quantum matrix, okay? You can change the source code of reality with these seven steps, okay? And you will have power beyond your wildest imagination. Why do you care about the easy way out? Mm. Why do you care to be better than everyone else if you haven't earned it? Because the process of earning it usually makes you realize you never needed to be better than everyone else, right? <laughs> you just needed to become an example maybe to others, yeah. right? So they could like, you know, find their own path. Well, yeah, and it's very profound. And um, I think about this idea of the things we believe to be true. Yeah. And those always evolve and change. I, I joke a lot about like, Studies have shown that yeah. eggs are bad for you now. You're I was like, thinking about that this morning, right? <laughs> Every other, you yeah, know, month is cholesterol. No, three yeah, eggs. This is good. This is not Two good. eggs, yeah. Don't yeah. drink. Drink a glass of yeah, wine every yeah, day. Yeah, like, yeah. Don't smoke weed. Well, actually, it, it, yeah. it's, it's, and so, um, but like you're saying, it's like, it's all part of the journey. And I, I, I think right. that point couldn't be said more poignantly than from you, you know. Yeah, there is an aspect. So often I'm asked what quantum physics is. Right. Right. So your uh, audience will now know from now on what quantum physics is. By the way, I was and reading this, yesterday this, on the internet. This I, was is, like, yeah. I was like, I'm in, I'm in trouble. For <laughs> this, this, is, uh, this is what quantum <laughs> physics is. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because quantum physics um, at its foundation can help humanity unlock aspects, not of the physical realm alone, but also of the social and political realm. Right. Because... Quantum physics is not a theory of physics. It is a theory of knowledge. It is a theory of how we can know about things, mm. right? And then it creates the illusion that the things that we know about have this consistent, like, you know, framework around them that create what we call physical reality, right? Where we see each other, interact with each other, and so on and so forth. But relative to what we are used to, often, you know, we, we see each other and we're not at seven places at the same time. But when you go into quantum physics, it says, no, there is a way for you to see an object that somebody else sees as being at this location. But from your perspective, the object has split in a superposition, what is called a quantum superposition, of seven different states, seven different locations, mm. like, you know, so on and so forth. The same object. What does this mean? This means something, I think, very profound, okay? It means that there is no single point of view. If every answer in the universe is in one-to-one -one correspondence, just directly connected to a question, right? And every question is nothing but a specific point of view, right? right? Then what if you could have intrinsically two different points of view 
where they, they're complementary. They're not like, they cannot be, um, they explain different aspects yeah. of the same truth, the same object, right? One of them, you know, would say, this is the truth, according to my point of view, right? From the other point of view, they would also have access to the truth, but they would say, but we don't match. You get like seven, you know, and I get 12. How is that right. possible? How could this be? I think about politics for a second, okay? Yeah. How could it be that like human beings made of the same DNA and so on and so forth can be so diametrically opposed in so many ways, right. according to so many ideas, right? It's because every single human being is a universe of viewpoints, okay? And those viewpoints don't have to mess well with each other. We are and all we're like all constructed. Those viewpoints we we most of them we've inherited. That's from right. Parents, things exactly. that we grew up with. Exactly. And it's not something easy. It's amazing that human beings even have a chance to evolve their viewpoint ever. Why? Why am I saying that? Because the universe itself doesn't even have that ability, right? The reason why we're all like here and you know in this room and we're not phasing in and out and tunneling through the walls is because the universe itself, once a single viewpoint goes viral, right? The survival of the fittest viewpoint, then the rest of the universe has to lock into that one. So everyone agrees that you're here, not here and there at the same time. Right. For a human being to be able to break that curse, it's an incredible like mental process, right? It's almost like we have to go quantum in a way. Mm. In order for the universe to break that curse, you have to go and ask quantum questions. Right, where two different viewpoints are still valid, even though they are not like compatible with each other. Yeah, it, and part of that, uh, I uh, I understand eight percent of what you said. No, I'm kidding. Like it's like a D, right? I passed. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like collective consciousness in a way. It's yeah. like if because folks like yourself or the other individuals you mentioned throughout history. See, and I find this with the innovator's journey. It's like you see something a very specific way. You know, I see that every car could be a taxi. I'm yeah. going to call it Uber. Yeah. And somebody goes, yeah, that, does, that makes no sense. Yeah. And then next thing you know, they're like battling cities. Disruption. And civic, yep. Yep. Disruption. Yep. And it yeah. is, and am I right? Or am I, you know, am yeah. I close in terms of you're, a practical example you're absolutely of what you're talking right. about? Insight, right? A friend of mine just told me just a few days ago, I was up in San Francisco. It's like insight is being able to see the obvious from a new new point of view, right? A friend of hers, and that's why I was thinking about eggs earlier today. I was thinking about what she told me about her friend who was consulting for some, you know, for we were an about egg company. Egg. Maybe. <laughs> the same exact <laughs> egg. The gold egg, right? You know, so. Um, so, so maybe, you know, insight is nothing more than just, again, seeing from a different point of view, something that everyone else considered obvious. And this is what I said earlier, right? Also that at that moment, you're the stupidest person in the room because everyone's like, what? You know, what, what do you mean? You know, her friend said to her, well, I was consulting for this, you know, big like farm company and so on and so forth. Like uh, they, they um, produce a lot of the eggs that we eat here in the United States. They're like, how can we get more eggs, you know, into consumers' homes, right? Because the problem they, they identified is that most people just buy eggs just to have them during the weekend because usually they don't know how to cook them uh, without taking too much time. Okay. So, so her friend is like, well, how about you just teach them with little things on the cartons or like, you know, with, with ads or something like that. Hey, you could make this quick meal every day. 
And this is where I was thinking, this is brilliant. This is simple, right? You know, just like you have in other packages, this is something quick you could do with the, like these uh, crackers, right? Yeah. You know, put some cheese or whatever they tell you in the carton. So you're like, oh, okay. You have a reason to buy and entertain your guests or whatever. But then I was thinking, of course, you know, could you eat eggs every day? Is it good for you? And then it went back to that other <laughs> yeah. thing, right? You know, that uh, the, the, the crazy science behind that. But I absolutely agree that um, that insight, that what we call genius, yeah. is, is, is the opposite of what I think we understand as genius. It is not someone who can do complex calculations in their mind. It is someone who can demystify, break down that complexity into something so simple that a 12-year-old can understand Right. Or and, 13, or 13 year old. And 13. You know, but that's <laughs> but think about this. Yeah. Right now, there are 13 year olds that can understand Einstein's theory of general relativity in a level, and at a level that his own peers, great minds, could not understand back then. Why? Are kids just genetically smarter? Probably yes, also. But we had enough time to digest it and for other geniuses, right, over time to break it down to smaller, like, you know. Uh, concepts that when you put them together, you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. When I told you that quantum physics yeah. is not the theory of physics, so it's not even about like all the equations and all that stuff. And the foundation of quantum physics is that of like, you know, if if any one of us were trying to figure out how we would make sense of anything, not of a physical world, right? Mm -hmm. You open your eyes, even if you had eyes or some way of communicating with the thing outside of you, whatever that is. You're trying to like get the data in and out, yeah. Like you're in the matrix or whatever, right? It's part of it's part of because I mean, going back to the beginning of our yeah. conversation, right? Like you're essentially marketing science, right? You're you're taking it out and trying to attract people to it, and same thing we would do with an Apple Watch, right? Like, we're yeah, gonna, yeah, like yeah, yeah. create the commercial, create the the invitation, yes. and hopefully people convert. Um, what what do you find is your because you the other thing you touched on is being able to take a complex thing and yes. break it down into a bite-sized nugget. Um, what do you find are some of your other bigger hurdles in that business mission? Well, I will say this, that uh, I'm probably the last person trying to market science. Okay. So let me explain that statement. Even though I'm a scientist, I do podcasts like this. I do outreach for sure. science and so on and so forth. Um, what do I mean by this? I don't think that science is the end, okay? Mm -hmm. I think that science is the best weapon we have right now of understanding, making sense of the world, but it is not everything, right? right? Sense, yeah. There is something, I think, much deeper going on. And I think what is that something that is deeper is realizing that we are the ones that created science, okay? There is no math in the world. There is no physics in the world. The universe doesn't say, and now I'm going to go into my physics mode and do my physics laws, right? And it doesn't say like, oh, but now, wait, this is a chemical process happening inside of a human being. Let me look and see quickly, what am I supposed to do right here? Right. Right? Okay, good. There is these pathways. Oh, these humans will figure out what I just did at some point. That's not how it works. It doesn't care. We made all that stuff up, right? So how can you make, you know, market something? where you, you know that it is, in a way, fake, mm -hmm. okay? But at the same time, in case somebody's listening, like, oh my God, said science is science fake. Science is fake. Oh, this is going to be a title of this episode. Science is also the least fake thing we have ever created. Right. Right, that's the difference, you know? So 
it it has an amazing ability science the the scientific method has this this even though the initial the foundation of it is something very flawed which is that you can only hypothesize about things that you have observed what is the problem with that right what if there are things that are possible to observe but they are so unlikely to observe that your theory will never include those as observations you will just say that's just not possible Make, let me make it explicit, right? If you flip a coin a hundred times and you kind of like heads and tails, 50-50, mm-hmm. you will never see a hundred heads in a row. If you were a scientist and you did that like for a million years, you're like, okay, there is a distribution of like outcomes. More often than not, you would see 50 heads, 50 tails in mm-hmm. some configuration. To be able to deviate from that, you know, consistently, that would be a miracle. It'd be like, you would know then then your your coin flipping, you know, is, is not 50-50, right? right? Something else is going on. But let me ask you this, right? As a scientist, you would say, well, okay, I just have a new theory about the universe. The only possible configurations of heads and tails never go beyond, say, 75 heads or 75 he- uh, tails, right? I never count more than that every time I do this. Yeah. There is a there is a law, right? Because you should be able to get anything you want, but it says, like, no, I've never seen that. So I will interpret it as there is a force, a hidden force that stops me from ever getting more than, say, 75 the reason is not a law of physics or a force that we cannot understand. It is simple probability. It is like the likelihood, right? Mm-hmm. That you will ever be able to get, you know, more than 75 heads. It's, it turns out to be less than one in like 4 million, okay? It's just very small every time that you do that. And the probability that you get 100 heads in a row yeah. is like less than one over the number of, you know, atoms in the universe. This is just not going to happen. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. So science starts with the first premise being whatever we observe, and then we try to abstract from there and maybe hypothesize what else could be true. Yeah. Right? And I think once you see that possibility, then you 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 examine that you examine when it happened, or if you yeah. if you yeah. if you get to see it. Because this whole time, I think about we as human beings need a lot of evidence. Yes. Of things that we yes. believe, whether it's religion or yes, yes, if yes, it's science yes, or yes, if it's yes. a business thing. Yeah. Is it working? Am I right? And the signs don't always show yeah. that you are yeah. <laughs> that you are right or Correct. wrong. Yes. And that what I what I think is of fundamental importance here is that the reason why we need evidence, right? There is a really good reason why we need evidence, even though I just said evidence means nothing, mm-hmm. right? Evidence means everything if you're looking to understand things that are reliably observed, meaning the things that matter to us Mm. because they automatically happen more often and more reliably than all the other things that could happen. Yeah. Okay. For example, jumping off a building, right? You may think like, no, I believe, right, that you should be able to one day fly on your own if you just imagine yourself flying and all that stuff. Well, that's not a very safe thing to say. That's why you do the evidence-based thing and you're like, well, even if Spiros tells you that, yes, it is a possibility, the probability of that happening without you knowing what you're doing Mm -hmm. is so small that, uh, you know, if you're doing science and you're sending people to their death, like flying off until one of them either tunnels through the wall or like, you know, floats when they uh, drop off the building, then, you know, this is not a good experiment okay so it is about reliability and usefulness but usefulness 
versus is is almost the the enemy of possibility right plausibility versus mm. possibility very different things and in technology and you know this right whenever you go to CES or any of these auto shows and all that stuff they always show their their futuristic cars even from like 20 years ago you could see cars that like we still have never seen anyone right. build something <laughs> like that this is um, the concept cars <laughs> as they call them right yeah. the concept car tells you what is possible right but what is feasible is the prios that you end up getting in the end right. okay that's what ends up happening because of economics engineering and so on and so forth and that's what i'm trying to say the laws of physics is are not what is possible they're yeah. what is feasible what has been distilled into the most reliable set of rules that we are our macroscopic level can mm -hmm. go by that's it and that's also the difference between different sciences why do you think there is biology and chemistry Brooklyn here, your daughter is like studying chemistry and she loves chemistry. Why does she need to study biology also? Because chemistry is somehow more foundational, right? Everything, you know, that happens in biology has a chemical right. underlying like reason. Okay, why would there be two sciences? And why are we even like not talking about biological, you know, pathways right now where we are discussing ideas? Yeah. You know, we don't need to. We don't need to at every different level, new laws emerge that did not exist at the level below so so you walk into a room with, with a bunch of disney folks and marvel folks. Yes. <laughs> um this is what i tell them and then all this <laughs> stuff is in your head right and in one side there's inter there's the entertainment piece of it yeah. right you know as i watched the video last night and i'm a huge fan of ant-man and dr strange is probably Very like cool. my, like just philosophically i'm like yeah i, I love thinking about that stuff yes um and i do want to ask you if i'll ever be able to do telekinesis but <laughs> um and uh how does that relationship work right because you need to turn yeah. what you're saying into something that's visually and plausible and yeah. entertaining and somehow factual <laughs> so so here's uh yes that i realized early on in my conversations with Marvel and with all, um, other Hollywood uh, producers and writers um, that the thing that got me into science and specifically into quantum physics was bad science in the movies, mm. okay? Which I wanted to make a reality. So my point is this, that I'm not trying to make the science exact in the movies because you may make it exact and then nobody cares, right? So nobody gets to, to see that. It's almost the, the reason why most people don't study quantum physics, where the first thing they you know do waking up is like, oh my God, I want to know everything about quantum physics. And I mean like everything, the equations, you know, the, the whole mm -hmm. thing, the math, the calculus, all that stuff. And the reason is because many people will find that boring. Not because it is boring, it is amazing. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's why I wake up and want to do that every day, right? The reason is because the way it has been presented is doesn't have the depth that is required to make it interesting. Right? We just call it weird and so on and so forth. Even among you know quantum physicists, we're just like, yeah, that's weird. Oh, wow, this is crazy and all stuff. But then we play it cool because like at least we know that the math works. Right. Okay. And so it is. it becomes impenetrable to anyone else. So if somebody were to try to describe what quantum physics is to you, they would start saying, oh, it's something about the microscopic world where, you know, you have superposition and stuff like that. No, all this stuff are like consequences of something deeper. 
right? Which has nothing to do even with like with science as we understand it. It's more epistemology. It is again more about if you were, you know, a pre-scientist before any scientist appeared, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to make sense of anything. Okay, of anything, even of like, what does it mean for you to be alive, to be awake, to have thoughts, whatever, to what does it mean? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but this is like it goes deep, right? And the deepest question we have never asked is under what assumptions that we have hidden under the rug? Are you even capable of asking the first question, right? A question, any question Mm -hmm. of the thing in itself, as Plato put it, right? The thing you're part of, the, the the quantum matrix, the, you know, the thing you're inside of. Yeah. And how can you even ask a question of the thing you're a part of without, by asking the question, changing the state of the answer? Because again, you're part of this mechanism, right? That would give you the answer. And this is, you know, people freak out when they realize that this is at the foundation of quantum physics. Yeah. Again, not because it is a theory of physics, it is a theory of knowledge that has so much fewer assumptions than every theory of knowledge up to now that it allows for crazy stuff to be even considered. Uh, you know, there's a theory that says that human beings are, are problem solvers, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons, like, I've worked at Machinima for a while, and, and that ah. was one of the reasons that gaming is so popular because you are constantly solving problems yeah, yeah. and there's an achievement that happens, yes. right? You get, you save the princess. Yes. Um, there is no saving the princess in what you're talking about. Well, here is there? there is something much more amazing than saving the princess. There is the possibility of creating the rules, right? Any rules you want for any game. Instead of saying, well, the only way you can make games is you need like an engine like Unity or Unreal or whatever, or you need to be a nerd that has studied computer science, the original and all the stuff you know, for, for many years and computer graphics and all the stuff. I'm saying, what if you could go to the bottom of this so that everyone would have access to, to re-engineering reality itself? I mean, isn't that cool? Because this is what you can do with a computer program. Right? You can create a virtual universe where in that universe you could be anything. You can create your character to do anything mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And especially now with virtual reality, if somebody grows up you know, with a helmet, okay, no matter what the resolution even is of the helmet, because they won't know what their eyes can really see if they were to take off the helmet. Right. But they grow up with that. They would think that they can fly. You know, The laws of physics could be like changed in any way you want as long as it's mathematically consistent. They would have a very different view of the universe than we do as part of this universe. Because this universe was created automatic laws of physics because of the, you know, the kind of questions we get to ask when mm-hmm. we're not constrained by a VR he- headset, for example, right? But if you can fit into the VR headset a new set of rules, then those would become your new ones. Your neural network would be like would completely parameterized relative to this one. So you, you know, I have friends who told me. After they they play uh, you know um, uh, driving games race race games uh, in a VR headset for say ten minutes, then they have trouble going out and uh, oh, yeah. actually driving. It's it's scary for them, right? It's like oh that's very <laughs> different. I shouldn't just be bumping around. <laughs> so <laughs> right, exactly. No, that, I mean that, that's that's fantastic. Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on. 
Uh, I saw that you are professor in residence at mm. um, Relay Ventures. Yes. And so wow, you did your uh, I research. Did. I, 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 trust me, I have so much more I wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, but what does that even mean? I mean, we've heard entrepreneur in residence, we've heard innovator in residence, wow. we've heard all sorts of things, but yeah. uh, your work inside of a venture firm. So, so yes, uh, remember I told you that I love breaking the mold or the, you know looking at the foundations of something, right? For example... Why, what does it even mean for me to be research staff scientist at Caltech, right? But also manager of outreach. That position, when they created it for me at Caltech, didn't exist anywhere in the world because it's like either you're a professor and you teach, right? Or you're an outreach person and you don't do research or teach, right. you know? So for me, I traded teaching for just talking to Marvel people, you know, but I get to do my research. So it's yeah. up to me how I split my time. Um, and I wonder, like, why not have more people like that, right, that do that? And I thought the same thing about, you know, their entrepreneurs in residence for, for different, say, venture funds, right, investment companies, and so on and so forth. Um, but I thought, why not have a professor, somebody who's an expert, right, in things and can help them break down different and difficult technical concepts, especially when many venture firms now invest in tech yeah. that they may not understand, right? So just actually, I was you know up in San Francisco earlier this week, explaining to to the partners what the blockchain is, right? <laughs> and I don't even I'm not even an expert in the blockchain, right. but it's pretty easy once you understand all the other things and you know cryptography and math and all that stuff. Then you're like, okay, yeah. And they had been trying for for months, many months, okay, yeah, Actually, maybe even over a year with different bringing in different people. And I was like, all right, here, you know, this is what it is. They're like, thank you, and it's because it's because. I was, as I said before, I was the dumbest person in the room, which meant that I had already asked some of the best questions yeah. that they would have asked. And I took the time to find an answer that would make sense to me. Because if you're the dumbest person and you actually have a good answer for yourself, right? It means you can explain it to anyone else. Yeah. They'll get it. And they're like, oh, yeah, this, oh, thank you. Finally. Up there, with a, there was a, a there's a, a quote from Bill Gates. I think he said, uh, "If I want something difficult done, I'm going to ask a lazy person. Ah, yes. Find the easiest way to get it done." Yes, yes. And yes. the same thing is like the most creative way, also like you know, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I I just wanted to say on that, like you know, yeah. when you have a professor in residence, and again, that didn't exist in Silicon Valley or anywhere else, right? They made it up for me. So when I they present me, they're like. Oh, so are you an entrepreneur in residence? But you're no, no, no. It's just professor in residence. So it's a weird position. It's the first, I guess, of its kind. But I think the same thing should happen with Hollywood. Yeah, they should have a scientist in every freaking movie, and I mean every movie, even romantic comedies should mm -hmm. have a scientist there, not as like a science consultant where they bring us in, they never pay us, and they're like, okay, goodbye, maybe or maybe not. Like you know, right. any of the stuff you told us, we'll make it in. I mean the same way that a, a movie set has writers, producers, mm -hmm. directors, and these are different people. Think about yeah. how simple this idea is, right? In the beginning of people making movies, they were the producers of the movie. They were the directors. They were the talent. They were the writers. They were everything, mm -hmm. okay? And they just had a little camera or whatever and going around. And all of a sudden, they realized, well, we could make better movies if we have experts in each one of these Yeah. Right? Professions. You even make the professions. Why do you think like that you need a writer? Because they studied how to write well. 
Okay, mm-hmm. the, it's not just an art. It's not like they have some inherent talent. Yes, that's usually a good thing, but they studied for many years, you know, from yeah. wisdom of many others. The same thing with being a director, right? Why do you think that then you don't need a scientist? There is science literally in every movie because it is about the physical universe, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Whether it is about relationships, right? Yeah. Whether it is about like a virus being loose, quantum physics in the quantum realm, whatever it is, you don't even know what you don't know. Yeah. And you think as a writer, or as a producer, that like, oh, your idea of how to do a beautiful time travel movie is yeah. going to be great because you read somewhere something on Wikipedia or something, and that's it. This is all we know as humanity, and I just had the most amazing insight. Right. About well, how to- and especially when in the desire to be inventive, right? I think when you think about the idea of innovation, it is yeah. bringing diversity of thought to i mean every script is the same right boy meets girl boy loses yeah, girl yeah. boy gets girls back yeah or the reluctant hero yes. you know finally steps journey. into his power yep, right yep, it's yep. it's the formula is is, is the same yep. and i think science allows for this sense of removing the the boundaries in, yes. in a way and like questioning your own reality yeah um, and I think uh, there are people on uh, the entertainment side that for good reason are thinking like, well, what, you know, this, how are we going to take a scientist who is going to poo-poo all of our ideas, right, and incorporate him or her into this process? Yeah. Well, I think with, that's, where you get, that's where you get inventive storylines, right? I think, yes. uh, and, uh, and uh, not necessarily preparation, but I was thinking about the movie Looper. Ah, <laughs> yes. Know? That's actually a great movie. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. It is. And I'm I'm one of those people that's always confused by anything that's like a time travel yeah, like, inception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, huh? <laughs> uh, I mean, I enjoyed the entertainment <laughs> of it, but I'm also yes. like, I started thinking about the like, well, how would that like, work? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, if they're not here, then how would they be there? Like Bill and Ted, perfect Correct. example. Like they wouldn't stole all these people from history and did it. And like, yeah, yeah. then where are they? Like, I'm <laughs> Just That's like, right. What are the repercussions? Yeah, for right. the rest of history. What are, yeah. What's the domino effect? Um, uh, and then yeah. So and I was also thinking about what dreams may come as, oh, as another yes. one. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. And Barnett Bain was a guest on the show. I think you guys should wow. know each other. Okay. Um, but as we wind down, um, the show is called Innovation Crush. You've talked about blockchain. You've talked about yeah. you know the quantum realm. <laughs> um, yeah. What what do you see out there that you personally have a crush on? It could be a, a culinary experience you had. It could be you know what's What's something that like gave you goosebumps? I will. um, Japan. Yeah. I love uh, visiting Japan. Uh, My girlfriend and I go there as often as we can. It's a very interesting uh, place because it is, I love watching anime actually. And I think it is an amazing way of telling stories, uh, not just to kids, but to anyone, Mm -hmm. right? With, uh, with, which have depth, you know, which have, uh, they're very innovative in many, many ways. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's many aspects of the culture, of the Japanese culture that I really love, uh, because even though in many ways it is very structured, in many other ways it is so wild and imaginative, mm-hmm. right? From Hayao Miyazaki's uh, mm-hmm. movies and so on and so forth. It is, yeah, so so I love that aspect of uh, of having this Zen you know, part of you, mm-hmm. while at the same time reaching for the stars, like a crazy person. Yeah. Right? It's um, because it's usually very difficult for someone to be able to reach for the stars without being intense. You know, I did my undergraduate degree yeah, at MIT. I agree. And it is like very, a lot of, the one thing we all have in common is not being smart, right? It is being super intense, go-getters, triple-A personalities and mm-hmm. all that stuff. 
And even whenever I go to San Francisco and I go to these retreats with all the super fancy people from around the world, they all have that one thing in common. Super, super intense, right? Yeah. It's as if what we are doing is the most important thing in the world. And if we don't do it, game over. Yeah. You know? And I've never smoked anything, but sometimes I feel like we should all just smoke a bit <laughs> or something just to chill, right? Yeah, and yeah. to not take ourselves too seriously. Um, well, yeah, I, think that, I think there's the balance. What you're, what you're saying, right, is the zen plus the intensity, right? You yeah. know, where you're not, you're passionate, but you're not emotionally it, attached. It is almost like you have trained yourself, you know, and th that's the thing about anime characters. The most powerful anime characters are not the ones that are the most obvious, mm -hmm. you know, in, in their power and strength. Are the ones that, like, you would least expect. There are these, like super old guy who mm -hmm. just hasn't said any, hasn't done anything, but could like crush everyone with like, you know, yeah. snapping his fingers kind of thing. Or like the the duality. Of, like I, I, watched, I started watching uh, One Punch Man. Yes. Quite anime, but like yes, it was, yes. but this is idea like, I went into, I'd never heard of it and yeah, I went into yeah, yeah. it expecting like a, an American superhero. Like, yes. you know, yeah. but this guy's like, he's tired of it. Yeah. Like he's just, he's tired of yeah. like killing every villain with one punch. Like he's just, he, and, but you, and not in a way that's comedic. It's just like, yeah. he's yeah, emotionally yeah, yeah. exhausted. Yes. And it's, you know, and again, I think in, when you break the rules or the rules that we're used yeah. to, is like, um, I'll leave it with this last example. There's a show called Misfits, which is uh, a mm -hmm. London-based series. Mm -hmm. this one? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yes. And that series, every episode, I had like 12 different emotions. Yeah. I was cracking yeah. up at one thing, then something was disgusting, then something yeah. was sad, then something was like, uh, and I'm like, what kind of, what genre of yeah. programming is this? And so, but it's a great show because it's its own thing. Yes. Right? And um, I think like that um, the greatest superpower we have and that is still untapped within us is not our intelligence, it is not our physical prowess, it's not even our ability to innovate, you know, in amazing ways. I think it's just empathy. Hmm. It's just as simple as that. It's empathy. The ability to have the imagination and the energy, right, to, to be in somebody else's shoes, to see things from another point of view. Yeah. And then everything, I think, stems from there. All of intelligence and innovation and insights and all that stuff. It's just like being a quantum physicist without realizing that you are one, right? I um, I know this is your interview. <laughs> but shameless plug for me, based on you saying that, the Great. first chapter of my book, yes. which just came out and is available on Amazon, um, is about empathy. Because I wrote the it's, I it's will 10 get essential rules for breaking essential wow, rules. And cool. the first one actually focuses on this idea yeah. of empathy. Um, That's awesome. And the interview's over. Thanks. No, just <laughs> um, Last but not least, yeah. complete this phrase for me. Uh, innovation to me is? Empathy. I really meant it, right? That's it. To be able to see again from different points of view, as you said, you know, to be able to see a car and be like, oh, this could be somebody's, you know, taxi, Right. It's just, it, it's, it's empathy. Seeing from a different point of view, seeing mm -hmm. from a point of view of, uh, of a consumer. Sometimes it's almost just seeing from your own point of view and allowing yourself yeah. to accept that this can incorporate many different points of view. You don't have to be as rigid. And when you're thinking even about Uber or Lyft, for example, right? It's not even that somebody else will drive you versus a professional like taxi driver. It's just that, you know, all the things that were missing from the original experience, you know, and you're like feeling that pain mm -hmm. and saying, how do I fix that pain? I have to create the rating system and I have to give people the ability to pay like directly and know when it's coming, where it's, it's going, all, all that stuff. Even in marketing, like even yeah. in like how you market something, 
Essentially, yeah, you like you're you have that kind bar over there, right? It's yes, like yes, it's but, kind. And I could have picked any other snack, right? But so, yeah. I had an emotional connection to that one because yeah. the word kindness, it, it, and they live that in that brand. Yes. Um. Uh. But anyway. But I think out. also that the um the best you know both science, um uh, technology and and entertainment, right? Hollywood mm-hmm. is at its best when it captures aspects of empathy, yeah. right? That's why I don't push too hard for the science to be exact. Yeah. If, it can, if you can get someone to engage with you emotionally, then you can take them on the wildest intellectual rides of their lifetime. They will give you their time and yeah. everything. I know because all of us scientists who have forsaken making a lot of money or becoming famous or whatever, why are we still doing that? Why are all these other things secondary? It's because when we were like, we, we caught, you know, the virus or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can't let go, right? That journey is amazing. But it was always, for all of us, not an intellectual hook. It was an emotional hook that yeah. first got us in an amazing mentor, a book, a TV series, whatever it was. What was it for you? Because you have a brother that's a, a restaurateur, right? Or, yes. Yeah. Do you, how do you know on, these things? My I gotta, goodness. I gotta I'm worried right now. I'm going to make it out. <laughs> You're not the only one that does research and outreach. <laughs> Very uh, cool. <laughs> um, I don't know. For me, it was my grandmother, you hmm. know, giving me math puzzles as a kid that were like magic. She would have me think of a number and then she would tell me to do all these operations in my head and then she would guess the number. And I never told her what the original number was. I was like, how do you know the answer every time? She can read my mind. <laughs> and I wanted to know how. I realized that she was doing like, you know, a simple mathematical trick in there, but I was still a kid and I ended up writing equations down without knowing what equations were at yes. the time, just because I wanted to know. So yeah, start from you that. You just solved then... a, a decades old equation, yes. um, math problem. But anyway, we don't have a lot of time. Um, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Where can people go see more of your work? Or like, what do you want to point people to? Um, I, uh, oof, I just, I, I won't actually point them to anything I've done. I will just say, go on YouTube and and look at like amazing science communicators. Um, if you are into physics or if you want to know more about physics, there are people like Veritasium, Vsauce, uh, Minute Physics, uh, gobble all these ones up. These are amazing, like uh, very smart people that break down things that up to now you had an emotional reaction to. You're like, whether it was calculus or something, you're like, oh, I will never be smart enough to understand that. So the gift I'm giving you is to go and explore people like that three blue, one brown. Is another amazing uh, science mm. communicator. So do that, you know, give that gift to yourself, right? Go to places where you thought you'd never be good at. From computer programming to understanding, say, what the blockchain was, there are some people out there that are so smart and so dumb at the same time, as I <laughs> said, right, that they have asked themselves the best questions, the ones that all of you really smart people out there, right? Once you get an explanation, you're thinking, well, but wait. Yeah. What about this? How could it, you know... What about that way and all that stuff? And they have already preemptively answered to this for you. So you can feel happy. Right? Yeah, I had a boss like, once who it. said, uh, an answer is only where you stop asking questions. Ah, very good. So <laughs> on that note, um, everyone, this has been another great installment. You want to say you had, you look like you had a pregnant pause there. No. You, oh, all right. You're like, eh, eh. Um, but he was, he was gas. So. Oh, his, yeah. gas is <laughs> more science. <laughs> science is coming out of you. Um, <laughs> everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush recorded right here at WeWork, we.co slash crush for more information and dense analogy on all your local 
social channels. And we will talk to you next time. We'll be right back.